Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, The Way. The Bible teaches that God's people will walk in the way of blessing and life, while those who reject God's instruction and rule will walk in the way of destruction and death. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. We're going to be looking today, we're finishing up our series on Psalm 1 and 2, and I'm actually going to begin by reading both of those psalms together. As a reminder, these two psalms are really kind of the entranceway. They are the, the introduction to the whole book of Psalms. I believe they are meant to be read together. I did an after hours on that, explain why that's the case. We've been meditating, and we're going to conclude that today by looking at trusting in God's sovereignty. That's what it means to walk in the way. And... Um, so we're going we're gonna to do this, and I'm going to begin by just reading both psalms together without a break. They'll be up on the screen here. You can follow along in your Bible. Hear now the words of the living Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which, does, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession." You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. As we're concluding this series on the way, I thought of the book Pilgrim's Progress. It's one of the most popular books that's ever been written. John Bunyan, who wrote it, actually began it while he was in prison. He was in prison because he was preaching without a license, which they locked you up for back then. And uh, he was thrown in jail and was 
but it wasn't published until after he'd gotten out of prison. It took quite a while back then to write a book. And so in 1677 and 78, they published it. And probably way beyond anything Bunyan ever thought, because he was not a particularly educated man, uh, his book has been translated into over 200 languages. If I'm not mistaken, the only book that's been translated into more languages is the Bible. Uh, it has never been out of print since 1678 when they finished printing it. It's never been out of print that entire time. And the story, if you've ever read it, is a description of a character named Pilgrim who has to leave his city, the city of destruction, because he's heard that the city is going to be destroyed and he needs to go to the celestial city, Zion. And the whole book is a description of Pilgrim on the way. And even after Pilgrim comes to the cross and his burden is relieved, it's a description of all the trials and tribulations and troubles that Pilgrim goes through on the way. He keeps getting lured off the path. There are many, many people who are trying to tell him to get off the path. There's an easier way. You don't have to do this. They keep trying to get Pilgrim off the way. And there are many, many obstacles. We loved reading this to our kids when they were young, you know, doing all the voices and giant despair in his dungeon. It's an amazing tale and picture of the Christian life. And the reason the book has resonated so well with Christians down through the ages is because we recognize as we read Pilgrim's Journey, we're like, yes, that's what it's like to be a Christian. My way's full of obstacles. I, I've met all these other trials and troubles and tribulations along my way. I know what it is like. And so we cheer each time Pilgrim is delivered and when he finally gets to come to the celestial city. So I think it's a great thing for us to think about it. And I even mentioned a couple times we go along here. Friends, that's what it's like for you and I. Psalm 1 and 2 that we've been slowly meditating on week by week tell us that the way is blessed but it's a way that's full of trials and troubles and persecutions. So notice, as we begin by looking at it, there are obstacles on the way. It begins in Psalm 1 with opposition from those who are around us. Psalm 1-1 in that very memorable beginning, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. And I remind you, as I mentioned before, that in Psalm 1 and 2, the righteous are always in the singular. But the, the wicked, the sinners, the mockers are always in the plural in the two Psalms. And pay attention to that. We lose that sometimes in English because we can't always tell with our pronouns and everything whether it's singular or plural. And it's especially getting difficult today as we're butchering our language up. But here it's quite clear. In the Hebrew, it's very clear. The, the righteous is solitary, and the righteous is surrounded not with, it's not one-on-one, -on -one. there are many that are arrayed against the righteous one. And so Psalm 1 promises great blessings to us, but it's realistic in its portrayal. It's telling you, pilgrim, when you get on the way, it's not enough, just getting down to the wicked gate, it's not all grace and glory after that. And let me tell you, there's a lot of preachers here in America that will tell you, if you just come to Jesus, everything is going to be okay. That you're not going to have any more problems. You won't get sick anymore. You'll never have a bill you can't pay. All your life is great. I'm here to tell you that is not the way. 
In fact, what Pilgrim found is it was a whole lot easier oftentimes to not walk in the way in the short term. In the long term, the two ways are leading to two different places. And which one do you want to arrive at? Zion, celestial city, or the city of destruction? Which way do we want to go? And so one of the great difficulties that Psalm 1 and 2 are telling us is that we're often going to be out of step with the culture around us. Again, note that the, the people here, the wicked, are not just saying, well, you go your way and I'll stay over here in my dark little corner. Oh, no. They're going to give advice. They're going to give counsel. They're going to go by what we would refer to as peer pressure. Because they don't want you walking in the way, which Pilgrim found out. There are all these people would sidle up next to Pilgrim on the way, and they're all trying to turn him off of the way. And if you've been a Christian longer than five minutes, you know what I'm talking about. It's not a neutral world. It wants to convince you and I that the way is wrong. Don't walk in that way. And if you want to have a little Jesus, just don't go getting too serious about it all. You know, or you become some kind of a crazy fundamentalist, lunatic, you know, you're just, you, you, you can't be talking, when it's not the case at all. It's just that I've realized God's the center of the universe, not me. But that looks crazy to our culture. And so notice that in Psalm 1, and these people in Psalm 1 are the ones who, they're just your neighbors, your family, your friends, the people around you. Psalm 2 then picks up and says, there's also opposition from those with authority and power. Notice Psalm 2 speaks of the nations conspiring and the people's plotting in vain. And you might think, well, this is just talking about, you know, like the people in Psalm 1. But then it comes back and says, no, I'm talking about the kings of the earth. And I'm talking about the rulers over the nations. The entire psalm is initially addressed to kings and rulers, those who have authority and power, and they are being singled out as being set against God, his way, and his people. And lest you think it's just at the beginning of the psalm, the psalmist, and when you meditate, you notice these things, as you go to the end of the psalm, he does what's called an inclusio. When you begin and end a poem with the same idea, you're saying, whatever I may have seemed to have wandered around, this has always been the point. It's always applied to this. And so he comes back at the end and says, therefore, you kings, be warned. Be, uh, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. So here again, and notice, is kings and rulers singular or plural? Notice the same point being made. Don't think that just because they've got authority, they now will gladly submit to God. In fact, what's been shown down through history is those who have authority and power on this earth very often are the last ones who want to submit. They're not used to being told no. They're used to getting their way. They're used to being able to get other people to compromise. But see, here's the deal. God doesn't broker compromises. There's his way. That's it. He is sovereign. So if you notice in the psalm, he doesn't enter into negotiations with them. He laughs at them. He scoffs at them and says, this is the way it will be. You have no say in the matter. So 
But there's a difference here in the Psalms, and notice this. It's one thing if there's peer pressure around me to give up the way. It's a different thing if those with authority and power start writing laws where there's a cost to walking in the way. And Psalm 2 is telling you and I, here, O pilgrim, what you should expect is those with authority and those with power are going to array that authority and power to try and coerce you off the way. In Psalm 1, it's people giving advice. In Psalm 2, it's people who will use authority and power to coerce off the way. And this is seen throughout Scripture and throughout history. And in fact, if you look, as the Apostle Paul is nearing his death, he wrote these words to Timothy. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be persecuted. Is that what it says? Okay, I've made this quip before, but please hear me. If you buy your Jesus wall calendar with Bible verses, they're not going to put this one in there. They should. This is a Jesus promise. If you want to walk the way, you will be persecuted. Whether that is laws arrayed against you, or it is friends saying you are off your rocker, you will not be applauded. It's a promise. This is God's promise to you and to me. Right here. Not one we all like, is it? So that's the message of Psalm 1 and 2. So everybody want to just stop? Go home? Are you encouraged for the week? But see, the good news is Psalm 1 and 2, of course, that's not their end message. They're realistic. They tell us if you want to walk in the way of blessing, this is what it's like in this life. Make no mistake. However, they tell us there is great comfort in the midst of our struggle. And the comfort's not that the struggle's going to suddenly end tomorrow. The comfort is God's sovereignty. That God is sovereign. So notice in Psalm 1, we're told right there in the heart of the psalm, the, 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 the wicked are around, they're trying to coerce, they're trying to manipulate, they're trying to pull us away. But we're told in verse 3, no, see, but if you are God's people, you are like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, out of season, um, whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Drought may come, God is with you. And God is your never-ending source. And then notice, it contrasts that with the wicked and says, no, see, the wicked are not like this. They're not, a, they're not a firmly planted tree. They're just like chaff. The wind blows and they are gone. And then it tells us here at the end that the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. I, I was worshiping this morning to a, a new song we'll be learning soon called All My Ways Are Known to You. See, that's what Psalm 1 is promising. God knows your way. Whatever family, friends, co-workers might be saying or doing, you are not unnoticed by God. He sees. He knows. His eye is always on you. And he is telling you, come what may, whatever they might do, you will be blessed. 
You will know relationship with me. You will know freedom from sin. You will experience what you were created to be. And they cannot stop that. So that's good news for you and I. That's meant to be comfort for us as we are on our individual way and the people around us may not like it. God says, I'm going to be with you and care for you. But then that would lead us to say, well, what happens though if the nation turns against us? What if they start passing laws that say to be a Christian and stand up for biblical morality means you're declared to be a bigot? And, and that position is outlawed. What happens then? Psalm 2 tells us this, God is still sovereign over the nations. Notice in the middle of it, God proclaims to the son uh, Messiah King. Initially King David, but always pointing towards Jesus. He says, I'll proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I become your father. Ask of me. And I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Notice the psalm begins with the kings and rulers in rebellion, and the kings and rulers are still being addressed at the end, but right at the heart of the psalm, God says, know this, whatever the kings may say, I have a word. Whatever the kings may want to do, I am sovereign, and here's my word, and here's my sovereignty. My son rules and reigns over the nations. But what if the nations don't like it? God says, what happens if you strike a clay pot with an iron rod? Who in here thinks the iron rod will break and crumble? Any chance of that? What happens if I strike a clay pot with an iron rod? Yeah, that clay pot is done. God says, those kings, with all their authority, all their pomp, all their circumstance, their military might, their economic wealth, they're a clay pot. They cannot stand before my son. He will rule, he will reign, he will do what he has decided to do. And here's a comforting thing for us. These verses right here, along with Psalm 110, are the, probably the most often quoted and alluded to verses out of the entire Old Testament when you come to the New. God, I, I'm actually reading through Revelation right now really slowly, and I was reading this week to go in the letters to one of the churches that is suffering persecution. God gives them this promise and says, I want you to know that the time has come that you will rule over the nations because you are in my Son. God gives that promise to Jesus and it's not forgotten it's not well but now we got meek and humble Jesus and so no no meek and humble Jesus came but he has ascended and he is seated at the right hand of God with all authority in heaven and earth given to him it's not a democracy there's only one vote whatever Jesus says is done period now, not a popular message. Even with many Christians, that's not a popular message. Well, what about my free will and I want to vote? I got news for you. You don't get a vote. And let me tell you, yes, don't need one. It's a, that's good news. It is good news that Jesus rules and reigns and is accomplishing the will 
of God. So Psalm 1 and 2 are giving this clear picture of God's sovereignty, that he's watching over my individual path and he's ruling over the nations. Things small, things large. None of it escapes his attention and none of it is outside of his sovereign will. Now, how do we apply this? Number one, I want to say, if you are here and you may not be a believer, remember Psalm 2 ends by saying, I'm telling you, find refuge in the Son. Kiss the Son. Blessed is everyone who takes refuge in Him. Have you found refuge in Jesus Christ? And if your answer is, well, I'm an American, so I guess I'm a Christian, that's not an answer. Okay? Jesus is quite clear. We have to be born again. Okay? We, we, I stumbled through the first 16 years of my life basically thinking, well, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I guess I'm a Christian. I don't know what else I would be. I always believed that there was a God out there. I was actually, I was telling somebody yesterday, I was at a crusade. Apparently, I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit so that my friends told me later when we would go out and I was 16, but we were drinking and drugging, and I would get stoned out of my mind. My friends told me, then you always started talking about Jesus. You're out here preaching to us on a dirt road. Like the thing we want to hear about while we're smoking a joint is Jesus, right? And I was like, I was? Who knew? I was under conviction. But there came the day I was in a David Wilkerson crusade, and sitting there, I'd been so drunk two nights before, I still have no memory of it. I mean, I complete blackout mode. Two days later, I'm there praying for my friends to get saved at this crusade until I hear the voice of God speak to me and say, what about you? You don't know me. See, I, I had this, oh, yeah, I'm God. Are you my child? Have you been born again by the power of the Spirit of God? Have you bent the knee and said, not my will, thy will be done. Friend, if you've never done that, I urge you with every fiber of my being, do not delay, do not wait. Not because I'm a preacher, I'm going to tell you what happens if you get in the car. I I don't know what's going to happen to you. I don't know your days, nor do you. But I do know this, joy is found in Jesus Christ. Blessing is found in Jesus Christ. You don't need Christ just for after death. You need him for life. And I'm not a prophet, but I will make this. It's probably going to get uglier here in our culture. Just going to go ahead and say that. And you better be in Christ. Now, to those who are Christians, two questions and we come to the Lord's table. Number one, do I believe that God is sovereign over my life? Do do I believe that? I know we would all say yes. We would check that box off, okay? But deep in my gut, do I believe in the midst of opposition that God is sovereign over my life, that he's watching over me? I remember the, the realization as a young believer when suddenly some of my friends didn't think I was the cool guy I had been before because I didn't want to join in on some of the activities I had done. It was painful to suddenly go from, dude, you were like my closest friend, and now you don't even talk to me about anything. But it's because 
I had started walking the way. They didn't want to walk the way. That's painful. But do I know in the midst of that that Jesus is watching over me? Notice, see, this is why I told you this is an introduction to the book of Psalms. And then you turn and you hit Psalm 3, and it's a lament. And Psalm 4, and it's a lament. And Psalm 5, and it's a lament. And Psalm 6, and it's a lament. And Psalm 7, anybody want to make a guess? It's lament after lament, the most common type of psalm. And the psalmist is saying, I, I told you, remember? Remember the first two things you read? I told you this is what it's like to be in the way. Do you understand? But do you know that in the midst of that, God is watching over you? You are never walking alone. He is always walking beside you. And do I know that the blessing of knowing and walking with God is sweeter than anything this world has to offer? It's sweeter than all human praise. It is sweeter than any economic thing I can get. It is sweeter than any amount of power or anything anyone can offer me because in the depths of my soul, as I'm walking with Jesus, I say, but this is what I was made for. I was made to know him. I was made to love him. And if father and mother forsake me, he'll never forsake me. Everybody else may change. He will be the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that is sweetness in life. Do I know and believe that? Do I know that God's blessing can fill my life in the midst of being mocked, ridiculed, and even hated? Do I know it? Now, I'm going to, I decided this this morning actually on the way in. Dan's going to put up the lyrics again to Christ is mine forevermore. It's one of the songs we sang today. And I actually told a couple of my grandsons, I told three of my grandsons back there because they're reading Pilgrim's Progress. I said, I want you guys to read this like your pilgrim. Notice the lyrics. Mine are days that God has numbered. I was made to walk with him. Next slide, Danny, if you can just keep going through. Yet I look for worldly treasure and forsake the king of kings. Sorry, Danny, that was my daughter, not Danny. Uh, I look for worldly treasure. Is this not our testimony sometimes? But see, it's not worth it. No, uh, but mine is hope in my redeemer. Though I fall, his love is sure. For Christ has paid for every failing, and I am his forevermore. Friends, that's sweetness. That's joy. That's blessing. But notice as the song continues. Mine are tears in times of sorrow, darkness not yet understood. Through the valley I must travel, where I see no earthly good. Does it sound like pilgrims? Does it sound like Psalm 1 and 2? Keep going. But mine is peace that flows from heaven and the strength in times of need. I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me. Mine are days here as a stranger, pilgrim on a narrow way. One with Christ I will encounter harm and hatred for his name. But mine is armor for the battle, 
strong enough to last the war. And he has said he will deliver safely to the golden shore. And mine are keys to Zion City, where beside the king I'll walk. For there my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. Come rejoice now, O my soul, for his love is my reward. Fear is gone and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. Friends, let that song burn into your mind and into your heart. I Look it up. Play it this week. Let it soak in. That's what it is to be the pilgrim on the way, but it is worth it. When the times are tough, hear the keys to Zion City jangling on your belt. And remember, I don't care what treasure is shut up here. I will be in Zion. And the day is going to come. It will not be bread or somebody else breaking the bread. It's going to be Jesus Christ. And he's going to hand it to me. And he's going to give me the cup and say, you are mine forever. And on that day, you're not going to say, but it was a hard way. Friend, we are going to say, that, that was nothing. That was the blink of an eye. This is what I was made for. Okay, I'll move on. I just, I hope you grasp me. Your father sees you. Not just a nameless mass. He sees you. When you are wrestling with giant despair, he sees and he knows. When you feel unworthy, he sees and he knows. When it seems like I'm hanging on by my fingernails and they're coming out by the root, he sees and he knows. Mm. And he is going to keep you, friend. Second question, and we'll come to the table. Do I believe that God is sovereign over the nations in history? See, because sometimes I hear Christians and they'll say yes to that first part and yes, that's sweet. And then they wake up and they don't like the result of the elections and suddenly God fell off the throne. He did not. He is sovereign. Not one square inch of the universe that is outside of his control. Come what may, in our future, he is sovereign. Now, if you know church history, Christians have often suffered under their rulers. I just shared yesterday about what's going on in Nigeria right now. It's chaos for believers there. But God is sovereign, and he will keep his people. Look, increasingly right now, if you pay attention, our culture is, is heading down some paths that are going to make it very, very difficult for you and I. Just pay attention to this. And I got news for you. Please hear me. It doesn't matter what happened in 2016, what happened in 2020, what's going to happen in 2022 or 2024. It does not... That's not where my confidence lies. 
Because here's what's going to happen. I will tell you, when we wake up in November of 2022, here's going to be the election result. Jesus Christ is still king. He still rules. He still reigns. He is still sovereign. And I want to tell you, you can take Psalm 2 to the bank. Much of what's going to go on 35 miles down the road is not going to be to encourage you to walk in the way. It's not going to be to encourage me to walk in the way. But the church has survived. Rome slit our throat, burned us at the stake, said they would squash us. Rome is gone. The people of God are still here. Diocletian declared the gospel would be no more. Y'all don't even know who Diocletian is. But you do know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Down through the ages, people have tried to squash it. And you know what? If our government outlaws Christianity, the church of Jesus Christ will survive. The church is raging and on fire in China, in Indonesia. It is growing throughout most of the southern hemisphere. And they're predicting that in the next 15 to 20 years, nine of the 10 most populous Christian nations in the world will be in South America, South Asia, and Africa. That is the work of God. He has been working. He has been preparing. So do I know that God sovereignly rules over the nations and he will not answer to them? They will answer to him. You're going to keep hearing in our culture, are you on the right side of history? Do not shrink back, Preston, and say, yes, I am. Are you on the right side of history? Because here's where history is going. We're all going to stand in front of Jesus Christ. Every king, every ruler, every legislator, and every one of us. And the right side of history is you better kiss the sun. The right side of history is blessed are all who find refuge in him. Do I see that walking the way is the right side of history? It's where history is going. Zion is where all of this is headed. The new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth is where all of this is headed. And that's a place where righteousness dwells. Now, with that, we're going to come to the table. We're going to come to the table of sovereign comfort. Because this table is for those who found their refuge in the Son. For those who believe that Jesus Christ is King and Lord, that He alone can deliver us from sin, from Satan, from this world. If you believe that, we invite you to partake of the table today. And as a way of describing what we believe, we're going to go ahead and stand. I want you to stand with me. And we're going to look at what is actually Heidelberg Catechism Question 1 or Bayridge Christian Church Question 98. They began the catechism this way as a summary of the faith. We end ours this way. And so I'm going to read the question then we're going to read the answer together. And as you're reading it, we're just going to read right through it. But I want you to hear the truth of God and the comfort that God gives to us. Brothers and sisters, knowing all of these things, what is your only comfort in life and death? 
that I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready from this day forth to live unto him. If you believe that, you are part of God's people. And you are welcome to this table to receive comfort. You may be seated. I want to urge you with every one of those things. Uh, Steph, if you can put that back up for just a second. I want you to notice here how all-inclusive our comfort is. Body and soul. Life and death. Jesus has, by his precious blood, has fully satisfied for all my sins. I can come to this table because whatever my week was like, it's forgiven. It's been paid for. And he has delivered me from all the power of the devil. And I am so preserved that even though my hairs are fewer than they were a few years ago, they are still all kept. By God. Not one hair can fall from your head apart from the will of your Father. He's watching over. And the Holy Spirit is assuring you that you are the child of God. You are on your way to Zion City. And then our response is, oh, Father, I'm going to go forth and I'm going to live for you now and forever. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the table of comfort. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for meeting us here at this table. We thank you that it represents your love and care for us in the past and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. It represents your sovereign preserving and comfort for us in the present through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. And it represents your love and care for us in the future when throughout eternity we will eat and drink and behold the face of the living God. Meet with us. Fall upon us now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take the bread.
Father, bread is a source of life for our physical bodies, nourishing and sustaining us for our years on this earth. And as such, it's a sign of your rule over all things and your providential care for us. But we are at this table as believers in Jesus Christ, because through him we have been given the true bread of life, which nourishes and sustains us body and soul for this age and the age to come. As such, this bread is a sign of your care for us in providing salvation through Christ and in sustaining us as your people until the final day. So we take this bread in faith, believing that Jesus alone is our salvation, knowing that you are more precious than life itself, and looking forward to the day when you will have fulfilled all of your purposes, and we are eating with you face to face. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord, you have given wine, the scripture tells us, to gladden the heart of man, refreshing us and filling us with joy as we journey through this life. Thus, it too is a sign of your rule over all things and your providential care for us. But in Jesus Christ, we have been given the true cup of life nourishing and refreshing us body and soul for this age and the age to come. So we take this cup in faith, believing that the blood of Christ has fully satisfied for all of our sins, that it has delivered us from all the powers of the devil and this wicked age, and it preserves us until the day when we drink the cup from your very hand. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's stand together, and I encourage you to cry out to the Holy Spirit of God along with me. Holy Spirit, though as pilgrims we are surrounded by those who refuse to believe, who scoff at and mock our God and his promises, you are the one who assures us of eternal life, reminding us of the grace of our Father and the work of our Lord Jesus in our behalf. And though in ourselves we are weak, and needy, tempted to compromise and abandon the way, you are the one who strengthens our resolve and makes us sincerely willing and ready in good times and in bad to walk with our Lord Jesus in the way. Spirit of the living God, 
fall fresh upon us now. Spirit of the living God, fill us anew and keep us ever faithful until the final day when we arrive in Zion City and we walk with our Lord Jesus. For we ask this in his name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you are the blessed of God. Go forth and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.